welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Bagoons Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, things are good and things are bad when it comes to sports here in New England today. The good, that the Boston Celtics, the bad, that the Boston Bruins. But when it comes to our topic of the day, we have to go all the way across the country to San Francisco and Colin Kaepernick. So, of course, last season, during the preseason, Colin Kaepernick decided to initially sit and then kneel during the national anthem because he wanted to bring everybody's attention to police brutality. Now, I have to, when it comes to situations like this, always be uh, really honest. I have two brothers that are police officers in Hartford, Connecticut, one older brother, one younger brother. So it's kind of obvious where my biases lie when it comes to a situation like this. However, I am a firm believer in the Constitution. I am one of those free speech nuts who think that you should be able to do and you should absolutely be able to say whatever you want so long as whatever it is you are saying and whatever it is that you are doing is not infringing upon somebody else's beliefs. And there's nothing more American than protesting. There really isn't. But at the same time, can you have a good protest? Can you have a bad protest? Yes. But when it comes to the issue of Colin Kaepernick here in 2017, that is neither here nor there for the most part. You see, the Colin Kaepernick question, it's a big old riddle because after the 2016 season, he opted out of his contract. Now, he did that voluntarily, but at the same time, there was no way he was going to get the $14 million that was left on his contract for this season. So he had to opt out of it, yet his hand was forced. Okay, so a lot of people are saying that, oh, he voluntarily opted out of his contract, but not to get into the nitty-gritty of his contract. He kind of had to. There was no way that the San Francisco 49ers were going to let him stay on the team and make that $14 million for the upcoming season. So here in the 2017 offseason, Colin Kaepernick is a free agent. Now there are a ton of crappy free agent quarterbacks right now on the market. Tony Romo, he's not one of them. He's a good one. Jay Cutler, he's a good one. Those are guys that are going to start for their teams. But last season, Colin Kaepernick, he was a backup for Blaine Gabbert of all quarterbacks. He's not going to be a starter this season. One of the things you have to look out for is how guys have played in the previous season when you're trying to project into the future. Now, Colin Kaepernick initially it, when you look at his numbers, pretty good. 16 touchdowns against just four interceptions. A 4-1 to touchdown-to-interception ratio is pretty darn good. But before we get into all of those numbers, we have to kind of take a step back and ask ourselves, is this normally the time when backup quarterbacks are signed in free agency? No, it is not. There are only two teams right now that signed backup quarterbacks. One, the New York Giants signing Geno Smith, which is kind of like, what? And then the other, it's the New York Jets signing Josh McCown. Now, do I think Colin Kaepernick is better than Josh McCown? Yes, I do. Do I think uh, an ill-stuffed sofa is better than Josh McCown? Yes, I do. But again, it's the Jets because, ha-ha, <laughs> walls, Jets. 
The only time you'll ever hear me say something like lols is when it's in reference to the New York Jets because they can't help themselves. And as a New England Patriot fan, it is awesome whenever the Jets do something like this, which is just blatantly idiotic. So the Jets, they don't have a starting quarterback. They don't even have a backup quarterback, but they've got a couple of guys that can't throw the football in the NFL. Hey, that's awesome. Okay. So here's the deal when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. Should he be signed right now as a backup? No. Backups are normally signed after the draft. Teams like to see how everything falls down. Think about that. If you have the chance to sign a quarterback, a young one, and mold him as a backup as opposed to a known quantity, don't you want to take the wild card on a guy that his ceiling is much higher than the known quality? Yes, that's normally the case. So... When it comes to backup quarterbacks, you usually wait until after the draft. But everything is not so simple when it comes to Colin Kaepernick because the Colin Kaepernick question is really more of a riddle. The problem was brought to the light this past weekend by Spike Lee, of all people. He's saying, oh, look, Josh McCown gets signed by the New York Jets. Isn't that a little bit fishy? Uh, when you want to put Josh McCown head-to-head against Colin Kaepernick, yeah, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, he hasn't been signed, and I'd rather have Fitzpatrick as opposed to Colin Kaepernick, and here is why. Colin Kaepernick is just not that good. We'll get into more of the surrounding problems when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. From just, though, a football standpoint, let's talk about the numbers. You already heard about the tw- uh, the 16-4 to 4 touchdown to interse- uh, interception ratio from Kaepernick last season. Well, over the last two seasons, his touchdown to interception ratio is 21 to 9, right? But this is a guy, you say, that does a lot of work with his legs. Yeah, that is true. But as a quarterback, you have the ball in your hands every single play. And yet, when it comes to taking care of, of the football, he's just really not that good. In his last 21 games, 19 starts, he has given up 14 fumbles, losing nine of them. So when you combine the 21 to 9 ratio of touchdowns to interceptions, along with his rushing touchdowns, which is just three in the last two years, with his nine fumbles, that's a 24 to 18 ratio. That's average. But when you're trying to decide whether or not to take a flyer on a guy? Don't you want somebody that's a little bit better than that? Don't you want somebody that doesn't get sacked 10% of the time, like last year, 9.8, and 10% of the time, two years ago, as in 10.3? You want a guy that gets you first downs, and you want a quarterback where when he goes into the game to replace a guy who maybe he's gone like he rolled his ankle or something or he took a big hit so he has to miss a series because of concussion protocol. You want a quarterback that can go in, run the offense that is in place for your team, and not miss a beat. When it comes to Colin Kaepernick, that is not the type of quarterback that he is. A lot of people are conflating so many issues when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, and rightfully so, because there's a ton of stuff on the plate with him. But when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback, he's just not that good, and what makes him so successful is actually a detriment to him 
as a free agent quarterback because he's not a free agent starting quarterback. As much as he might think so, as much as Jamel Hill might think so, he is not a starting quarterback. He had the starting job for San Francisco last year, and he went a fantastic 1-10 for the 49ers. Yes, that team sucked, but it starts with your quarterback, and he was just simply not that good. So instead of being a starting quarterback, he's going to have to make a team as a backup quarterback. And yet, what makes him effective as a quarterback is his ability to run. It's not his ability to pass, and we'll talk about that in just a moment time. But sticking to this one issue, if you have a backup quarterback, you want a guy that can replicate the offense that the starter was running. When it comes to Colin Kaepernick, he can't do that. He's not going to be a pocket passer that sits there and goes through his progressions just like the starter is supposed to. No, he's going to get progression one, maybe get to the check down, and then he's going to try to run. That's not the offense, though, that the starter was running. So when Colin Kaepernick goes into the game, the offensive coordinator has to come up with an entirely different game plan. So instead of spending the entire week heading into the game, Think about one way to beat the other team with a couple of maybe B and C options. You have to go to X, Y, and Z when Colin Kaepernick comes into the game. What makes him most effective makes him persona non grata, at least when it comes to a backup quarterback. He's not going to throw the ball effectively in the pocket. It's just not going to happen. It's disappointing for Kaepernick. I totally understand where he's coming from couple of years back, several years back, I led the 49ers to the Super Bowl with a fantastic defense, mind you, that not many people talk about. And he was good. But the dirty little secret with Colin Kaepernick was that even when he was good, he was not that good. Kevin Seifert of NFL Nation had a fantastic article. I think it came out over the weekend. But he broke down the numbers specifically when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, the passer, from 2012 to 2014, Kaepernick threw 15 touchdown passes and 21 interceptions. He also rushed for an additional 10. And he also fumbled 26 times, losing 19. And that's the thing with a running quarterback is that you really have to not just look at touchdown to interception ratio. You have to look at touchdown passing plus running plus fumbles because those guys are going to fumble the ball more. During his most productive seasons, 2012 to 2014, Kaepernick, and now I'm quoting, Kaepernick was one of the league's least accurate quarterbacks. His 60.1 completion percentage ranked number 23 in the NFL, and his percentage of off-target throws ranked number 18. That is 17.6%. In other words, every time that Colin Kaepernick dropped back to pass, there was almost a 1 in 5 chance that his pass was going to be nowhere, nowhere near where he wanted to go. You know, the whole point of being a quarterback, throwing the football? Yeah, supremely bad at that. Okay, so those were his most productive. 23 in the NFL in completion percentage and 18th in the NFL on off-target throws. 17.6%. Those were his most productive seasons. Now, after the 2014 campaign, everything blew up because Jim Harbaugh goes to Michigan. 
and the 49ers have no idea what to do. Uh, do we go with Jim Tomasula? What's going on? Okay, just awful, 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 and Kaepernick is caught in the middle of that. So, not surprisingly, the 49ers are going to be bad. Bad they were. Horrific, though, that was Colin Kaepernick. Since the start, again quoting, since the start of the 2015 season, Kaepernick ranks last in the NFL, dead last in the NFL among 35 qualified passers in off-target percentage, 22.6. So that one in five is now closer by barely a percentage point, but it is. That one in five is now closer to one in four. In other, in other words, every fourth throw that he tries to make is nowhere near his intended target. He ranks dead last in the NFL among 35 qualified passers in off-target percentage. His completion percentage ranks 32nd at 59.1%. And as I mentioned earlier, his running ability just, it didn't really put him over the top. Okay, so those are the numbers when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. And do you want a backup quarterback that cannot throw the football where he wants? Every time he drops back, there's a 1-4 in four to 1-5 in five chance that he has no idea where it's going. Part of the reason that his interception percentage is so good is that his throws are so bad, they can't be intercepted. Usually you get interceptions when you're missing a guy in the NFL, at least, when you're missing a guy by about a yard, maybe two. Kaepernick is missing by about five yards on most of his, not most of his passes, but on roughly 20% of his passes. They're so bad, they're not intercepted. Think about that. They're so bad that they're actually not in the realm where the defense is near enough to make a play on the ball. All right, so that is the issue number one and something that gets swept under the rug because of everything else surrounding Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick as a quarterback is just not that good. So that's why teams, especially before the draft, haven't taken a flyer yet on the University of Nevada product. All right, so that's issue one. Now, issue two, of course, is the national anthem protest. In that same article by Seifert, he mentioned how an unnamed general manager said, well, I think that Colin Kaepernick is, in fact, getting blackballed. Seifert responded with a pretty opt or apt question, which was, well, what about all the tape that shows him not throwing the ball where it's supposed to go? And the GM, who thinks that Kaepernick is getting blackballed, said, well, there is that. In other words, he's saying, I think, and these two things could be true. I think Colin Kaepernick is getting blackballed. I also think that a lot of general managers are making the decision based off of the fact that he can't throw the ball well. He doesn't know where it's going. So in the national anthem protest, are they playing a, uh, are they playing, you know, are they playing a role here in the Colin Kaepernick saga? Yes. But I think there is one thing that has been really ignored through all of this. The national anthem protest, yes, you're naive if you think that general managers don't take that into consideration when they're thinking about a backup quarterback during this offseason. I think, number one, they are looking at his completion percentage, at his inability to throw the ball. I think number three is the national anthem protest. I do. Even though he came out and said, 
hey, I'm going to stand for the national anthem this season. I will not be a distraction. And that's a good move. A lot of people think that rings hollow. But as I wrote in my article yesterday on jakedonnelly.com, hopefully, uh, if you've never seen it, go check it out. J-A-K-E-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. First name, last name, jakedonnelly.com. But as I pointed out in my article, even for the people that think his protest ending when he's a free agent rings hollow, let me ask you something. Um, My principal stopped somewhere around the $5 million mark. I think that's a little bit even high. Heck, right now, I take about $500,000 to get rid of my principals. I think, yeah, 500000 to a million. There, there's wiggle room there. But definitely $5 million. My principals go out the window at a $5 million mark, maybe even a tenth of that at 500000 You know, that one's pretty much up in the air right there. My principals can be bought. If you want me to say or do anything, but also give me $5 million, hey, I'm your man, and I can do it with a ton of passion. So for those of you that think his principles ring hollow because all of a sudden he's stopping heading into this season when he's a free agent, ask yourself where your principles lie in relation to your savings account and checking account. But number one, when it comes to what general managers are looking at with Colin Kaepernick is his inability to throw. Number three, I actually think, is the national anthem protest from last season. Number two is something that went overlooked because of the national anthem protest and all the hubbubaloo that was surrounding it. That is the fact that Colin Kaepernick entered last season because of veganism. He entered last season underweight. Some people said that it was about 10 pounds underweight. Some said that it was about 25 pounds underweight. And this is kind of the 2A with number three. Okay, so he shows up underweight and he engages in this national anthem protest. When you show up underweight as a quarterback, that is bad because you have to take a lot of punishment. You're more prone to injury if you do not have the muscle on you. Veganism is horrible. Dead animals cooked over a fire are fantastic, okay? Veganism is bad for you physically, and when you're an NFL quarterback, it is even worse for you, especially if it makes you show up 10 to 15 pounds underweight. No matter how much tofu you eat, you're not going to get everything that you need. You're not going to be as strong as you should be if you were getting all that red meat into your body. But when you show up 10 to 15, 10 to 25 pounds underweight as a quarterback, that is bad. When you show up 10 to 15, 10 to 25 pounds underweight as a running quarterback, that is just plain stupid. Running uh, quarterbacks get hit more than any other quarterback. It's just the name of the game. Instead of getting sacked, uh, make that excuse me, instead of throwing an incompletion, getting rid of the ball, you're trying to tuck it and make a play. Most of the time, you're going to get hit. Colin Kaepernick was so good from those 2012 to 2014 seasons because he was such a big guy, strong, and he actually delivered hits at the ends of runs, and he had this fantastic ability, much like Russell Wilson, to simply avoid the hits. But we've seen it the last couple of years with the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. If you don't have that fantastic line, you're going to get hit more. So Kaepernick shows up, shows up, underweight, loses the starting job to Blaine Gabbert, goes 1-10 as a starter. These aren't things that are all that surprising. And NFL general managers, they take a look at these decisions by Kaepernick, 
I think namely the showing up underweight, but others might say the national anthem protest. But they take a look at these decisions and lifestyle choices by Kaepernick, and they say, is this, they ask this question, is this a guy that is doing everything for his team to get his team into a winning position? I think when you look at the total numbers and you look at his off-field, I won't even say issues, his off-field stances, the national anthem protest, again, I will reiterate, in America, you can do absolutely what you want. You can say whatever in the blue hell you want so long as it does not infringe upon somebody else's actions and their rights. So Kaepernick, you can make that stance. You can look like an idiot when you wear socks depicting pigs, I make that depicting police officers as pigs. That's an idiotic thing to do because it takes away from your stance. You said a lot of other stuff, but you know, you can do what you want to do. That's fine. But when you show up underweight as an NFL player who is supposed to get punished on every single play, you're telling general managers, I kind of have my priorities out of whack as it relates to football. Now, is he doing great work? by providing food and water to Somalians? Absolutely. That is wonderful stuff. That is commendable stuff. But do general managers care at all about that? No. They care about winning. They hate losing. They like their jobs. If they win, they keep their jobs. If they lose, they lose their jobs. If Colin Kaepernick wants to get signed by a team, he has to show teams that he cares more about winning. Otherwise, NFL general managers will go and take somebody and pick somebody and sign somebody that clearly, by their actions, shows they care more about winning. The, I use this, I, I said if Cam Newton, in the article, the thing I wrote was, if Cam Newton took to his Instagram and did a live feed of himself slaughtering a goat and praying to Satan during a ritual, more than half of the NFL would come running and driving Brinks trucks up to his front doorstep, okay? Cam Newton is good. As much as I hate watching Cam Newton, it's more the smile. It's the smug smile. It really is. It's funny to me. I, he looks like he's having so much fun. And as somebody that he beat the Patriots, which is why I really dislike him, and him and Luke Keekley, I don't like Luke Keekley. Keekley is one of the best linebackers in the NFL. I was appalled when he was coming off of the field, like, just sobbing uncontrollably. That was a scary sight. But yet, when it comes to Luke Keekley, not a big fan because he interfered with Rob Gronkowski. If you beat the Patriots, I don't like you. It's kind of that simple. So when it comes to Cam Newton, it's like, all right, I'm not a big fan of you, but if I was one of the other 31 teams in the NFL, probably about 28. I think there's 25 to 28 teams in the NFL that would take Cam Newton right now if he went on Instagram, slaughtered a goat while praying to Satan. Who are the guys that you don't take? The Patriots don't take Cam Newton, obviously. The Green Bay Packers don't. The Seattle Seahawks don't. Mm, I, I think the Cincinnati Bengals do. The Oakland Raiders, they do not. What, a couple others? Maybe the Ravens. If I'm the Ravens, I'd take Cam Newton, absolutely, over Joe Flacco. But here's the thing. Cam Newton, really good quarterback. Colin Kaepernick, not so much. 
So that's what it comes down to for the NFL. Are these are there these other things when it comes to Colin Kaepernick? Yes. But is the bottom line more than likely the fact that he's just not that good of a quarterback? Yeah, especially pre-draft. Now, we'll revisit this in a month or so, but at least pre-draft, I don't think Colin Kaepernick deserves to be signed when you look at the numbers. All righty. So we go from our topic of the day from really yesterday into... Oh, no, everything bad in Bruin land. All right, so the Bruins under Bruce Cassidy are now 12-6. and six. They had a four-game winning streak and have followed that four-game winning streak with a three-game losing streak. If you have followed the Boston Bruins, you know that this is not anything new. This is kind of what they do, especially in March. Happened the last two years under Claude Julian, and it's happening now. Under Bruce Cassidy, under Claude Julian, it's why he lost his job earlier this season. But the Bruins are riding their first losing streak under Bruce Cassidy. Here's the thing, though. As Rear Admiral on uh, for Barstool Sports, and he's now on WEEI, he tweeted after the game, uh, it's sky is falling time for the Boston Bruins. Now, here's the thing. Is it chicken little time for Bruins fans? Yeah, a little bit. It kind of is. I like I, Just to be perfectly blunt, it's a little bit chicken little time for the Bruins fans. They've seen this happen the last two years. In a playoff spot and then a massive, massive downturn in the final month in play, and they miss out on the playoffs. The Bruins should never miss the playoffs. They've missed it the last two years. Before two days ago, they were ensconced in the third spot in the Atlantic Division, but now... Mm. after the three-game losing streak, things aren't looking as hot. The Bruins are one game ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs for the third spot in the Atlantic, with the Maple Leafs having two games in hand. The Bruins are four points up on the New York Islanders. Islanders have two games in hand, and the Bees are up five spots on the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have one game in hand. That's when we're looking at the fourth, or make that the second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. So the Bruins, they still have that little bit of an inside track. Looking at the standings, there is still that ability of the inside track. Now, when you look at the rest of the schedule, this is why it shouldn't be chicken little time. The sky is falling. The sky is falling for Bruins fans. Okay. Next game is against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are below them in the playoff race, four, five points behind them in the playoff race. That game is on Thursday at 7 o'clock at home. That's a game the Bruins should win. Then they play the Islanders in New York at 7 o'clock on Saturday. That is a game they should win. Then you play the Nashville Predators next Tuesday at home. That's a game being at home they should probably win. The Predators are a tough team, but... That's still a winnable game. Then home next Thursday against the Dallas Stars. Guess what? That should be another W. So the Bruins, following this three-game losing streak, are playing four teams where they should be the favorites. Right? That's eight points right there. They should win at least three of those games. They should get, honestly, seven points at least out of those next four games. So that takes us into April. Then in April, on April Fool's Day, they play Yamir Yager and the Florida Panthers on Saturday. 
a matinee at 1 o'clock once more at home. That is another win. Then they go to Chicago, which sucks. That's just an awful job of scheduling. But when you look at the home versus road, I mean, come on now. And Bruins have a ton of home games left. Four of their last five in April are at home. And three of their final four, actually four of their final five, again, in March are home. So four or five, four or five, eight of their last 10 games are at home. But they play the Panthers at one o'clock on Saturday. Then they take on the Chicago Blackhawks Sunday at 1230, back to back, that on the road. That's a loss. You should get no points against the Blackhawks. Uh, in that game on April 2nd. Then Tuesday, back at home against Lightning, another game they should win, 7 o'clock. Then Thursday against the Ottawa Senators, that's a toss-up because they don't play the Senators well. Guy Boucher has that annoying trap in the neutral zone, and you never know how those are going to go. And then the final game of the regular season, it's against the Washington Capitals, who more than likely will not have anything to play for. So, you can kind of say that's a 50-50. Maybe even the Bruins will be the favorite in that game. So you take a look at it. There are four games, and this is conservative estimate, four games where the Bruins, uh, let's call it five, five games where the Bruins should absolutely win, two games that are 50-50 toss-ups, and two games that they should lose. So when you look at that, the Bruins should get, in the last nine games, at least, 13 points, probably 13, 14 points in the last nine games. If they can get 13 points in their last nine games, the Bruins are going to make the playoffs. That's what you have to look for. Win the five games you should win, and then pull out three points out of the next eight, boom, you're in the playoffs. All right, so maybe not chicken little time for the Bruins fans, but how do they avoid chicken little time? All right, one, we have to look at David Pasternak. Pasternak has been so good this season. He has a career high in points. He has a career high in goals and a career high in assists. Career high in points, he's got 63 points on the season, 31 goals. Last year, he had 15 for his career high, so he's all already doubled that. He has 32 assists which is almost double his career high of 17 from two years ago. But he has been scoreless in the last two games. His last goal was a power play goal. I make that excuse me. No, that was an even strength goal. But from February 26th to March 3rd, when the Bruins won five of seven games, Postnock tallied at least one assist in six of those seven games. So it's not the goal scoring that's going to really get Pasternak into the action. He needs to start passing a little bit more. We saw him pressing in the game last night against the Ottawa Senators. All right, Pasternak hasn't scored in his final two games. Last night during a power play, uh, I think it was the second period, the Bruins were in the attacking zone for more than a minute, or at least it was coming up to a minute, and he made an awful pass out to the point, and it ruined the power play for the rest of the power plays. The Bruins just were out of sorts after the clear by the Senators. Then later on in the game, he tried to make a little dangle south of the goal line. Uh, that got pickpocketed and cleared again. The Bruins and Postnock just a little bit out of sorts, right? But remember, he's young, and he hasn't, made the playoffs yet. So maybe he's feeling it a little bit. Krejci, David Krejci, is starting to really step up. He got a power play goal from the high slot uh, yesterday on a gorgeous one-timer, and he just cranked. So we'll see 
if Pasternak can get things going, Krejci starting to play much better. He's been playing really well under Bruce Cassidy. So we take a look at Krejci playing well, Pasternak coming down, and guys have to start getting on the same level. And that's true of the Bruins in general. Their five-on-five is lacking right now. They're 18th in the NHL, five-on-five. Only 48.7% of their goals this season have come five-on-five. They're 10th on the power play, fourth on the penalty kill. So it's really their special teams that is keeping them in it. And unless it's Brad Marchand making a play, the Bruins, they're just not getting the job done, specifically the defenseman. The defenseman under Bruce Cassidy, who was an offensively-minded defenseman in his playing days, but the defenseman under Bruce Cassidy, when he took over, were doing everything asked of them, playing great defense, but also supporting the offense and jumping into the rush. Lately, though, during this mini-losing streak, we haven't seen any goals from the defenseman. In fact, the last goal even strength by a defenseman was Brandon Carlo on March 4th against the Devils. And you have to look it up. It's in my most recent post on the website, uh, in my post of Boston Bruins back to basic. And Brandon Carlo jumped into the rush after a stop at the half boards and read the play perfectly, jumped into the rush, threw it towards net, and it deflected off of a devil's stick. Now that's the thing that leads me to my last point when it comes to the Bruins. The Bruins are actually playing pretty decent hockey right now, but the puck lock just isn't working for them right now. They have been hosed by officiating the last two games. They, the officials didn't, they did not stop the Bruins from getting two points against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they definitely stopped them from getting at least one point. Dominic Moore essentially got called for being too strong on a net rush with three minutes to go in the third period when there hadn't been a single penalty call for more than a period. It was just an awful call. You don't make that call in the first period. You definitely do not make that call in a one-to-one game in the third period. And the Leafs would end up scoring uh, later on in the ensuing power play, and the Bruins couldn't come back, ended up losing 4-2 because of three goals in the final two minutes. But the Bruins, yeah, they got hosed against the Leafs, right? So that's bad luck. Then the first goal of the game for the Ottawa Senators last night, a double deflection that went five-hole on Rask, couldn't do anything about it. The last goal of the game winner for the Senators was a high-slot tip that knuckled and hit off of the crossbar and bounced in. When things aren't going well, they're not going well. But the Bruins, they have a day off, and they can kind of reset the clock against the Tampa Bay Lightning in a home game tomorrow night, and we'll see if they can get that done. I think they will. I just think that right now, puck luck isn't with them. And there are a couple other factors that honestly just aren't getting the job done. But you know who is getting the job done? That, it's the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics had a huge game two nights back against the Washington Wizards, a team that they have had trouble with this season. But what did they do? Oh, they just killed them, a 110 to 102 win for the Boston Celtics in a game that really wasn't that close. That was a blowout for the Celtics. They were so good. It was testiness. There was Terry Rozier going up against Brandon Jennings after Jennings kind of got in his way. Rozier with a complete overreaction. But at the same time, you know, that feistiness, that Kevin Garnett attitude, 
from years back. That was prevalent during the game against the Wizards, and it was awesome. And I think finally the Celtics are back to full health. And the way that you can look at that, Avery Bradley, 20 points, 4 assists, 9 rebounds, 3 on the offensive side. And the Celtics, they just dominated on the offensive glass. That is something I don't think I have ever said when doing any of these Bagoons Barrage. But Bradley, 29, 9, and 4 with a steal. He was a plus 12 during the day, also played 34 minutes. Jay Crowder continues to really improve every single game during the season. 16 points, 9 rebounds, 4 offensive with an assist. He also had 3 steals and a block. He only turned the ball over once. Al Horford, everybody has to shut up. Al Horford is a max player. He helps out this team so much. 16 points, 5 assists, 9 rebounds, 2 on the offensive side. Oh yeah, 2 blocks and a steal while turning the ball over just once. Isaiah Thomas, he was his usual bad self. A 25-4-4 night. He had 2 steals. A little bit eh, iffy on the turnovers with 3. But Kelly Olynyk. Holy good God. Kelly Olenek had nine points, 11 rebounds, and four on the offensive side. Even Tyler Zeller. Tyler Zeller was good. Tyler Zeller had four points and four rebounds and two offensive rebounds. It was awesome. Everybody was awesome, and they just took it to the Washington Wizards. That's all you need. And Marcus Smart, he chipped in uh, with 10 points. He had two rebounds, two assists. He drew a charge. And when the Wizards were really chipping into the lead in the fourth quarter, Brad Stevens sent Marcus Smart down onto the block, and that really staunched the bleeding. And right now, the Celtics are playing great basketball, and they still have a chance for that one seed. But with that win, they booted Washington, and it will be almost impossible for the Wizards to catch the Celtics for that two seed because now if the two end up tied at the end of the season – the tiebreaker because they split the season series will go to conference wins. And at the moment, the Celtics, I think, have uh, five more in conference wins than the Wizards. So you can see how the Celtics, not just up by two and a half games against the Washington Wizards, but it's really uh, one more game than that because the Wizards have to finish in front of the Boston Celtics. So everything good in Celtics land, eh, everything not so good in Bruins land. But, you know, that'll happen back and forth. The Bruins should, and I put the emphasis on should, but the Bruins should be able to finish off this season with at least 13 points in their next nine games. That's 13 points out of 18. They play uh, eight more home games. So, I mean, come on. The Bruins should know how to finish off the season in style, and make it back to the playoffs for the first time in the last three years. The Boston Celtics, heck, we're looking at maybe a first seed for them, but a two seed is not bad at all. So, Celtics good. Bruins, meh. State of New England, slightly above average right now. But for now, that will do it from New England. Thank you once again for tuning in to Bagoons Barrage. I'm Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. I hope wherever you are, you are having a great and wonderful day. But for now, as always, go New England. I love to hate it with-